hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. I tell you, nothing like a good old uplifting spiritual before the sermon, huh? No, but that's perfect, though. That was a perfect song for, for, for this message. You know, we are continuing this season of Lent to talk about narratives that we place on God, narratives that, that we use to define who we think God is. And, and those narratives, for the most part, can, can be dangerous. They, they, they can fully uh, help us to not see exactly who God is when we take a look at God through a certain lens. You know, I told the early service uh, that you know, Lent is one of those seasons that when it first hits, it, it surprises me. It's like, oh, wow, it, it's Lent. Uh, you know, because it follows the calendar or the lunar calendar. Uh, that way, Easter lands on uh, the uh, the Passover, which kind of what we were talking about with the song that we just sang. You know, that whole traveling from Egypt to to the Promised Land, and, and we hold on to that tradition. So we remember Christ as as the Passover Lamb for us, the one who was sacrificed for us for the forgiveness uh, of our sins. But with that, be, with it being a moving holiday, you know, not like Christmas, which is always on uh, December the 25th, and we have our Christmas Eve services on the 24th, you know, it, it's kind of hard to plan for, for Easter and for Lent. It's like, oh my word, it, it's Lent, you know, whether it's at the beginning, at the end of March or sometime in, in the month of April, it usually catches me by surprise, but then when we get to this Sunday, uh, the Sunday before Palm Sunday, as a pastor, I start to freak out a little bit because I want to make sure, are we ready? Are, are, are we, do we have the service lined up and ready to go? Are we going to make sure that we're able to get three sanctuary services in on, on Easter, Easter Sunday? And I just have to pause and I just have to relax because I know God has this and we are just called to be faithful disciples of what God has called us to do and and I think this Lenten season with the practices that we've had that we've had in the bulletin hopefully it's given you an opportunity to have a little calm and peace in your life as you practice these disciplines, you know, the practice of silence, the practice of giving thanks, the practice of reading through the 23rd Psalm, and then last week uh, having the opportunity to practice this uh, Lactino Divina, this, this spiritual reading of Scripture. You know, I hope that you uh, take that with you. You know, I know it's, it's time-involving, uh, but, you know, what, what do they say about those things that are good? You know, you have to put time into it to fully understand and fully appreciate the love and grace of God. You know, we were focusing on the love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13. You know, the world today has given us 
so many definitions of what love is, and the world has missed the mark a lot. But when we look at Scripture, you know, we see that love is patient, love is kind, you know, love, it, love gives, you know, all of those things. Those give us a great picture on who God is in our life, and I want us to be able to reflect on that, especially as we look at what some people might say is the opposite of God is love, is God being holy, but really, my friends, those, it isn't a either or a statement. It's a both and. God is love, and God is holy. So I invite you to go to God in prayer with me as we prepare to receive his word this morning. Would you please pray with me? <clears throat> Dear God, we come to you in the midst of a world that can be confusing, in the midst of a world that tells us one thing, but then it acts in a different way. And sometimes we in the church, we fall prey to that too. We uh, have a tendency to say one thing, but then we act in a totally different way. We thank you for uh, the opportunity to visit the narratives that we may have about you. And we pray that as we dig into your scripture and, and uh, explore those narratives, that you open our hearts to receive your word. So God, we ask that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. You know, the series so far, well, at least for me, uh, as I'm preparing it, it's been kind of fun. You know, it, it's, it's fun to be able to talk about God being good, God being trustworthy, God being generous, and God being loving. You know, it, it, it's fun because we get to tell those stories about God that we, that we love to share. You know, we, we get to really focus on a certain aspect of who God is. And, and, and as I started to prepare for this week, it, it, it got a little difficult, I'll, I'll, I won't lie, uh, when we start talking about God being holy. And it doesn't help when you pick a scripture like our scripture for today. So we'll just go ahead and just hop on in and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that passage. Our scripture is from Matthew chapter 12, verses 31 through 37. So hear the word of the Lord. These are the words of Jesus as he's speaking to those around him. And he says, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. 
For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all did a little bit better than the early service. I got done finishing reading that scripture, and I said, thanks be to God. And they were like, thanks be to God? Because those are harsh words. Those are harsh words from Jesus, especially that last line. By your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. What does that tell us about a loving God? What does that tell us about this, this God that we, that we hold on to, about, about being, our, you know, being generous to us, about loving us, about providing good things for us? What does this say about this person that we come and worship? Well, it says that God is holy, and, and God expects us to not stay as we are, but God expects us to continue to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. I had a uh, teaching experience at one of my uh, former churches when I was a youth director. I decided to do the lesson on Matthew 22, uh, verses 1 through uh, 14. And, and if you're not familiar with this parable, Jesus is, is, is speaking of course, and, and he's talking about this, this great banquet that this master is, is having, and he sends out his servants into uh, the streets, and he starts inviting people in, and he looks around and realizes that his banquet hall isn't full yet, so he sends out the servants again and, and brings more people in, and he sends out the servants again, and, and finally the banquet hall is finally filled. And, and as a youth director at the time, I, I was trying to find a way to teach my youth about how God wants us to continue to invite people over and over again and tell people to come and experience the great things that God has for each and every one of us. So I, I'm, I'm reading the scripture at the very beginning of, of the youth time together, and then it gets to the very end of the parable where the, uh, the master is walking through the, uh, the party, and he notices that somebody does not have on the proper attire to be in the wedding or in, in, in the party. And then we have these words from Jesus. Again, some difficult words. Uh, Jesus finishes up his parable by talking in Matthew 22, verse 13 and 14, that the king or the master told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are invited, but few are chosen. So I just, I just rip through this whole passage, and I'm ready to start my teaching moment. And all of a sudden, some wise aleck middle school kid in the back of the room, he says out loud, man, that's harsh. And the whole room just starts laughing. And I, I, I lost the whole lesson there. I mean, there was, there was no, no going back. But then I started to think, what is Jesus saying here? Is Jesus saying that even though we are, are called to go out and invite everybody in, that there's going to be some people that won't make it because they will be rejected. That's what 
the plain reading of the Scripture says, but I can't believe Jesus would, would say that. I can't believe Jesus would be a, be a part of something like that. But then I started to think more holistic about the text. And, and I started to think that, you know, this party was going on. The, the people that were brought in were poor. They were, they were on the outskirts. They were on the, the outside of the, of, 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 of the town. And they were brought in. So surely, as they were being brought in, the, the servants would give them the proper attire to be a part of what was going on. So in other words, in my other reading of this, was saying that they were helping them grow as disciples. But this one person took the opportunity to say, no, thanks, I'm good. I, I just have to stay how I am. I, you invited me in anyway. I don't, I don't need to change. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to, to make my life different. And what the story tells me is that the God that is loving and the God that is holy wants us all to grow, wants us all to change, to, to, to make our lives better, to live truly in the love and grace, to, to be accepted and to accept the good graces, the good gifts that God has for each and every one of us. I will have to say it's still a difficult passage to read. It's still a difficult passage to, to grab a hold of. But what if when we accept the love and grace of God, but then we decided that we weren't going to do anything with it? We were just going to live our lives as we've always lived them, I and we did not try to know and to understand and, and to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. See, I think that's what the Scripture is telling us, and I wish I had the brains to say that whenever I was teaching my youth several years ago. You know, God accepts us how we are, but God wants us to continue to grow because he knows that through our growth, we become better. Through our growth, we, we become to be one that knows and understands and is able to, to grow as God's disciples. If we're honest, we probably, uh, if I'm honest, I should say, I, there are times that I treat the Bible like one of our founding fathers treated the Bible, Thomas Jefferson. You know, we make so much of a deal about how those who founded our country founded it on Judeo-Christian beliefs, and, and we have this Christian heritage. But, you know, honestly, we really don't. I, um, I, you know, we, we know how the country was formed and followed, but Thomas Jefferson, he had a, a very interesting view of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. Thomas Jefferson would uh, take the Bible, for example, and he would take a knife or a pair of scissors and he would cut out portions of the Bible that didn't fit his worldview. And we have the, the Jefferson Bible. And, and part of the stuff that Thomas Jefferson would cut out, he would cut out... Um, Verses dealing with the miracles of Jesus, and including the resurrection. So this whole Easter thing that we do, Thomas Jefferson said, no, nah, that's not what I want to subscribe to, so I'll just take that part out. 
Even if there was a great moral teaching within a miracle, he would cut out the miracle part and just leave that little teaching in there to say, this is what is important. The, the miracle stuff that Jesus did, the, the, the miraculous stuff, no, that's not really that important. So he would cut and choose what it was that he wanted to follow. And if I'm honest, I, I can be like Thomas Jefferson too. There are times where I like to just pick and choose the Jesus that I want to follow. I want to pick and choose the parts of Scripture that, that really lays out what I really want to believe and take out those parts that, eh, it's kind of hard to believe or, or I don't want it to believe because it may seem harsher than what I want to follow. I think that's how we get these different views of Jesus. Know, how we can get Jesus as this, this nice and meek and mild character, one that strolled through the lilies of the fields and he was talked about peace and love and he even had little animals come up and talk to him. Wait, no, that's Cinderella. <clears throat> but we like to find ways to make Jesus this, this meek and mild character that, that wouldn't even step on an ant because he would be afraid to, to hurt the ant's feelings. But we also know that we can easily take God and make Jesus into this, this vengeful and, and wrathful character that we just have to just beg time and time again for him to love us and for him to accept us. But when we take a look at Scripture, you know, that, that God is, is different. See, we, we love to use this word about the wrath of God, and, and Scripture is filled with God's wrath, but we don't understand exactly what that means. See, we, we tend to place the word wrath in, in our context on how we do things. <clears throat> Another youth ministry story from me. We took the kids down to New Orleans to do a, a mission trip down there, and I was excited about this trip. I've never been to New Orleans. Uh, give a chance to, to walk the, the French Quarter, and, but also to do some work, you know, because that's why you go on these mission trips. And, and we were going to be doing types of mission work that was similar to what we've done in the past, but a little bit different. So in, in, in the span of this trip, our, our middle son, Tim, almost fell off a roof and landed on some exposed rebar that wouldn't have ended out, when it wouldn't have ended pretty, uh, however, you, however you looked at it. Uh, then we were working on another house that, you know, in the New Orleans area, a lot of the homes are, are raised up because of the hurricanes and the storm surges that come in. So we were building a brand new deck that needed to be repaired around. And we had, I was there on this work site, and we had one of our kids walk by where some were working above, and as they walked by, a circular saw fell down and landed right behind the kid. And it almost took him, took, took him out. And there were other things that were happening on the work site. So 
needless to say, even with the trip through uh, New Orleans, this youth pastor was ready to go home. And I wanted to get home as quick as I could. And our trip back was taking a little bit longer than I wanted it to. So I was calling the van rental place saying, hey, we're going to be back in Sherman at four. We'll quickly unload and we'll get the van right back to you. I know you close at five o'clock, but if you can just wait, if we're late, we'll be there at 5.05 at the latest. We pull up to the van rental place. The gate is locked. And I was like, that's fine. They're inside. So I walk up and I start knocking on the window. I, I, you know, I start yelling. Nobody's there. And I'm just so furious. So I take the baseball cap that I have on. I rip it off. I throw it down on the ground. And I immediately just kick it all the way back to the van. And I look up, and there's Tracy, Deborah, and Jacob like this. <laughs> They're laughing at me. And, and rightfully, they should have been. This, this is still a family story that we tell over and over again, even today. But then I started to think about it. What did we lose? Well, we didn't lose our son. Thank goodness for that. We didn't lose another kid that almost had a circular saw dropped on him. We didn't, and I started to think about all of the disasters that were avoided. And I said, the last thing is that we may be charged an extra day for a van that we use to get us home from this mission trip. See, that is how we view wrath. We view wrath as this, this angry, angry pence of, of emotion. And then when we talk about the wrath of God, we place that. Can you imagine God taking a baseball cap, throwing it on the ground, and kicking it like this over and over again? No, that's not what God's wrath is. God's wrath is a mindful, objective, and rational response by God who is fiercely opposed to the things that harms God's children. God's wrath helps us to see that, that God hates sin. Now, hate is one of those words that I, that I, I really, really almost said hate to pull out, dislike to pull out because we should not hate other people. But I think it is right to say that God hates sin because sin hurts God's children. Sin causes his children to be separated from us, and that is what Jesus came for. Jesus came so that this barrier between our sin can be taken away and that we could be placed in right relationship with a God who loves and cares for us. Theologian J.I. Packer wrote these words, Would a God who took as much pleasure in evil as he did in good be a good God? Would a God who did not act adversely to evil in the world be 
morally perfect? Surely not. And if the creator of the universe were this indifferent, would the universe be fair? One of the things we humans cannot escape is our longing for fairness and justice. I do not want a universe in which there is no justice, no right, and no wrong. And I do not want a God who is indifferent to moral evil. See, that's what we are talking about when we talk about the wrath of God. When God is wrathful, he is saying, this is what is good, this is what is evil. Don't do evil. Don't do those things. But do what is right. Do what is trustworthy. Do what is holy. Micah 3.6 says, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Those are the ways that, that we uh, experience the wrath of God. James Bryant Smith, who, who this series is the book, uh, The Good and Beautiful God, that this series is based on, he wrote in the book, in the same way that God's love is not a silly, sappy feeling, but rather a constant desire for the good of his people, so also the wrath of God is not a crazed rage, but rather a consistent opposition to sin and evil. See, we have a good and beautiful God who loves his children with, with a passionate love. And that passion even comes down that God doesn't want us to live a life of sin. God doesn't want us to do things that are contrary to the love and grace of God. God has a love that is passionate, and that passionate love is portrayed and played out by what God did on the cross that we will talk about and, and worship and, ex and celebrate, if you will, next week as we live through the passion once again. Singer and songwriter Rich Mullins wrote many songs that were very... Um, pointed about who God is. And one is called The Love of God, where he writes these words, that there's a wideness in God's mercy I cannot find in my own. And he keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone. Keeps me aching with a yearning. Keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. What if we fully looked at the love of God, the holiness of God, as, as this opportunity for us to grasp who God is, to avoid those things that cause destruction, to avoid those things that, that make us feel like that there's no way in the world we can come to God, that we, that we held on to those things so we can feel God's love, passionate love inside each and every one of us so that we can then share that love with others. See, the love of God, or really the first and last word from God is grace. And we experience that grace through 
God's holiness. And we experience that grace when we come to this table, this, this amazing table that, that extends God's love to all of God's children. When we, when we realize that through the breaking of the bread and through the pouring of the cup, when we realize that we together are the body of Christ and that we together work to make this place on earth as it is in heaven, we then can see God's holiness poured out on each and every one of us to be the hands and feet of Christ in a broken and hurt world. So my hope is as we continue to extend this, this season of Lent that we feel the passionate love of God, that call to holiness that beckons us to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. So would you please pray with me? Oh God, your holiness is hard to grasp. And that's because we are just who we are. But it is through our faith that we draw closer to you. It is through our faith that beckons us to be uh, the, the, the people that you have called us to be. Help us when the invitation is given to us to, to take off those things that separate us from you and, and to build on those things that draw us closer, to help us to see your heart, to help us to be a part of the work that you have called us to be. So, Lord, as we prepare to receive this table, give us strength to walk as your children. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.